morning. This morning's scripture reading will be taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 5. That will be found on page 852 of your pew Bibles. Matthew, chapter 5, verses 2 through 10. Matthew, chapter 5, verses 2 through 10. He opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. It is good to be home. I appreciate JP uh, preaching last Sunday and have heard tremendous things of his lesson. If you're a guest with us this morning, we welcome you. We are thankful that you made the effort to be here to worship God, and it encourages us that you've done that, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. As we think about wonderful things that are taking place, we have several new members, we have several new deacons, we're at the beginning of a new year. And with this new year as a congregation, we've set a goal that we want to make sure that we grow spiritually this year, but especially even in January. We want to begin the year that way. And so we're in the midst of a study of the Beatitudes. And in this study, our goal is to grow closer to God. There may be some that need to make a huge recovery in their life. There may be others that they simply need a renewal. They need to make sure that, that they're growing and that they're closer to God today than what they were yesterday. And wherever we are in our spiritual journey, we want to make sure that we begin and that we're moving closer to God every step of the way. So far in the lessons that we have thought, have studied about the Beatitudes, we've studied about the poor in spirit and the reality choice that all of us hopefully can say, I'm not my God. When I do things my way, I mess it up. I bring hurts, pain, hang-ups in my life. I'm not God. And then second, we saw the hope choice. Blessed are those who mourn. There has got to be someone that we turn to. Isn't it wonderful that we can turn to God? Where else would we go? Isn't it wonderful that we can turn to God's family? We have others that we can lean on to find that comfort. But this morning, we think about that commitment choice. That choice that the Lord said in the third beatitude, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Can you imagine the audience that he was speaking to? The Jews had gathered, a large multitude had gathered together to hear him. And you remember the Jews had the hope and the expectation that the Messiah was going to deliver them and liberate them from the Roman Empire. And can you imagine how they must have been disappointed whenever they started putting together that, that this Jesus of Nazareth that is this powerful teacher, he really is the Messiah and he's the one that at the beginning of his Sermon on the Mount, one of the first things he said to us was, blessed are the meek. You know, sometimes 
that's just not attractive to us from our fleshly nature. I don't want to be meek. I want to rule Rome. I don't want to be meek. I want Jerusalem back as my own. What if you had a good friend and, and something had happened at your workplace or in your home and you felt like you had been so harshly mistreated and you sat down with that friend and you told them how the boss mistreated you or you told them how a co-worker uh, gossiped about you or you told them how a spouse was so angry at you and, and hurt you with work or you told them about how your children that day had pushed all of your buttons and that friend looked at you and said, I want to give you some of the best advice I know how to give. And, and you're kind of on the edge of your seat. You want to hear what your friend has to say. You trust your friend. And your friend says, I want you today to be meek. Are you going to say, wow, thank you. That's wonderful advice. Or inside, are you going to be just a little bit disappointed? Well, I was really hoping for something else. That really isn't attractive to me right now, my situation. I wanted something that I could take a little bit more charge of. I wanted to, I wanted to be able to kind of get back and put people in their place and kind of take the reins of my life and get it back under control again. And friend, you're going to tell me, be me? Surely there's something better than that, isn't it? Or is it? This morning I hope to accomplish two things in our study of the scriptures together. One is for us to clearly understand what is meekness. And second, I hope we can leave here loving it. Saying, I'm attracted to that. I want to be meek. One of the best definitions I have ever heard of meekness was really illustrated by something that some of us have seen many times in our life and all of us have at least heard about it. Maybe you've seen a stallion running across a field and you've been told that horse right there has never been broke. Maybe you've been out in the Midwest and you've actually seen them run across a, like a prairie where, where maybe they're thundering in big herds and, and, and they're running 25 or 30 or 35 miles an hour. And you see the strength of their neck and you see their speed and you see their power. And you can't help but just kind of stare and be in amazement. It's a wonderful creation that God made. And when we see a horse in the fullness of his power, we are reminded of just that. Look at the power of that animal. But then we take that same animal and we bring it under the control of a trainer. Reins are placed by the side of its head linked to a bit that's in its mouth. And I want to ask you a question. Is that horse less powerful, less speed? No. The truth is, in many cases, now that horse becomes more powerful. And oftentimes even faster because now they're exercised. And they haven't lost anything in life, they've gained. Now they are more productive than they've ever been. The picture that you see there, it's the Lipizzans. It's one of the oldest breeds of horses. If, if you will remember in your history, it was General Patton in World War II that rushed in to rescue these horses before the Russians destroyed them. 
and he's hailed among those that love this breed of horses as a hero. You see, in the 1600s, these horses were bred especially for battle. The bulkiness and the strong hips, they literally for hundreds of years have been trained to not only rear up, but to stand on their back legs. These horses for hundreds of years have been trained to leap forward while remaining on their back legs so that if they were in battle, the soldier would have the, 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 the soldier on the horse would have such an advantage of the soldier on foot or even on another horse that did not know these skills. And literally, the horse himself was trained to fight with his front hooves. Now, some of you have seen these animals when they tour across America. I know several years ago, Greg Myers gave me tickets and my family went down on Sunday afternoon and, and we watched about a 90-minute show and it was unbelievable the unisons that can take place as several horses are in the ring doing the very same choreographed routine. And it was amazing the strength. I'm telling you all that to say this. Those horses are trained. They're brought under control of the trainer. Friends, there probably isn't a better illustration for meekness than to say, how powerful do you feel on your own? How fast do you feel? How can you run through life on your own? And now the question is, are you willing to bring that, that strength and put it under control? But then you say, whose control is it? Is it that I simply become self-disciplined? No, it's much more than that. It is taking that, and meekness is putting that strength under God's control. It's literally us taking the reins in our life and handing them over to God and say, God, I've done it long enough. And back to lesson one, I don't want to be my God. Every time I try to run my life, I ruin my life. And God now... I want to become meek. I want to not, not become weak, not to be less productive, not to lack courage. I want to be strong. I want to be courageous. I want to be productive. I want to find the purpose for my life. I want my life to be positive. Lord, I take the reins and I put them in your hands. Lord, you reign in my life. Lord, Today forward, I want to be meek. If you were to list your bad habits, your hang-ups, if you were to list the hurts that you want to overcome, if before today someone were to say to you, I tell you one of the things that you have to do to overcome those, you have to become meek. And if before today you would say, that's not enough, I need more to work on, I hope that as we study this you realize that is enough. That's exactly what we need to work on. And probably one of the best illustrations of meekness in the Scripture is over in 1 Peter. If you will, turn to 1 Peter, the second chapter. In the Bible that's in your pew, it's 1,077. 1,077. I'd like for you to notice, we're going to pick up reading in just a moment, 21, 22, and 23. And then the rest of our time this morning, we'll work through this looking at three main points that we learned from this passage. But just to set this up, I would like to take just a moment and remind you of the paragraph that this is found in. This begins uh, in the paragraph, verse 18, where the servants are told to be submissive. This is probably one of the reasons that we have such a struggle 
with meekness is because we like to rule. We like to be the ones in authority in our life. And it's not easy to be submissive and say, okay, Lord, you've given authority on this earth. You've given government as authority. I'll be submissive to government. You've given my parents as authority. I'll be submissive to my parents. You've given bosses in the workplace the authority, and I'll be submissive to my boss. You know, a lot of the time we struggle with this. Here, the Lord is writing a paragraph to servants. And and in the first few verses of this paragraph, he's going to say, if you're a Christian and you're a servant, I want you to be submissive. And some of you are going to have bosses that when you do wrong, They are going to punish you, and you're going to take it well. And I'm going to put this in my words. In my words, he's going to say, so what's the big deal? You should be punished. You did wrong. So if you take it well, what's the bragging? Then he says this, but when you do right and you suffer for doing right, he says, that's commendable. Here's a master And his servant has done everything that they should do and the master still goes out and mistreats that servant. Speaks down at him, whips him, mistreats him. And the Lord says to that servant, be meek. Do the right thing no matter what your master does. He says, now that's commendable. Coming right out of that recommendation of that being commendable at the end of verse 20, notice 21. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. And here's the example. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile again in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. The first thing that we see here in 21 is that bold realization. This is to what you were called. You know, someone says, wait a minute, you're telling me that when I'm mistreated, I need to leave the reins in God's hand? Because keep in mind, if we put the reins back in our hands, when I'm mistreated, I'm going to strike back. When I'm mistreated, not only do I want to get you back, I want to get you back greater than what you got me to begin with. But what happens if we leave the reins in God's hands? We read the reins in God's hands. We turn the other cheek. We forgive. We pray for those that hurt us. And so the reminder here in 21 is, do you remember what you were called to do? Do you remember what you were called to live? Do you remember back in December when we studied the church? And remember one of the lessons we studied was the church is the called out. And so here we are in the world, we're living by the flesh, we're striking back in vengeance anytime we want to strike back. But when we are the called, we step out of the world and now we take the reins of our life and we hand them over to God. Look back to Ephesians, the fourth chapter. We've got it on the screen here. Ephesians 4, 1 and 2. Notice again this teaching of the calling in verse 1, but notice how it is described in verse 2. In verse 1 he says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Now, there's a comma right there, but I'm going to pause for a moment. We'll finish this sentence in just a moment. So he says, there is a calling that you've had. What did that calling cost? It cost Jesus his life. Jesus died on the cross so that we could be called out of the world. That's a pretty expensive price. In other words, Jesus died for you and I to be called. Now, he says, walk worthy of that calling. You live your life in daily conduct 
worthy of the fact that Jesus paid for you. In other words, leave the reins of your life over in God's control and let Him direct your steps. Well, what would those steps look like? Look at verse 2. We're completing this sentence of walking worthy of the calling. He says, with all lowliness and gentleness. We'll come back to those. With long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. It's interesting here that he says, with all lowliness and gentleness. Lord, how do you want us to walk worthy of the calling? Be humble. Another translation would say, with all humility and meekness. The humility is a submissiveness of mind. It is a lowliness of mind. And back in its root, it even deals, and this may catch us a little bit off guard, but when we think about it, it makes sense. It's a lowliness of mind that also deals in modesty. Isn't that interesting? Lowliness, humility, gentleness, meekness, modesty. What is modest? Modest is when we do not place the emphasis upon ourself to fulfill flesh or fleshly desires. We take the reins instead and say, I want to live a life to bring the emphasis to God. I want to reflect God. And so when we think about that calling, that calling of Christianity definitely involves the humility that we must have in our life, that meekness that we must have. But going back to 1 Peter, the second chapter, look, if you will, again, in verse 21. He reminds us that we're called, but then he gives us an example. Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. Now, on this next slide, we've just taken the words out of this text and uh, the, the, the teachings out of this text, and we've just lined them up there, one, two, three, and four, just so it's easier to comprehend. So when we think of, okay, I want to be meek. I want to put the reins over in God's hand. I'm not suggesting to you that this is everything that, that it entails. But when Peter wanted the servants to see an example of Christ, here are the four things that he mentioned about Christ. The first thing that he said is, he committed no sin. Remember when, when Paul said in 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter and verse 1, imitate Christ, imitate me as I imitate Christ? Remember that? Are you comfortable saying that? Are you real comfortable on your way home looking over to your children and say, children, I want you to follow my footsteps. I want you to talk the way your, your mom or your daddy talks. I want you to talk like I talk. And, and when things could flare up your temper, I want you to control your temper the way I do. I want you to handle enemies and friends the way I do. I want you to worship the way I do. I want you to be committed to Christ the way I am. Do you hear Paul saying that? Paul's saying, look, I've given my all to follow Christ, and I hope that you'll follow my example of following Christ. Can, can you say that to your grandchildren? Can you say that to your co-workers? I hope you'll follow Christ just the way I'm following Christ. Can you say that to your friends? If we do not have the intent that Jesus had, Jesus, what was your intent on this earth? And he would say very clearly, my intent is not sin. And of course, he went to the cross and he fulfilled that. He did not sin. But this morning, I want to ask you the simple question. Do you intend to go through this week not sinning? 
Do, do you intend to say, I want to know the Word of God because I want to know what is righteous and I, know, I want to know what's wicked because I want to live what is righteous. I want to stay away from that which is wicked. Are you truly committed to say, I don't want to sin. Now I understand none of us are perfect. But friends, if we're going to be meek, we've taken the reins and we've placed them over in God's hand and God is going to lead us towards righteousness. Let's not take those reins back and say, God, I want to redirect my life and I, I want it to go off in another direction. But a second and a third thing that he teaches here is deceit was not found in his mouth and when he was reviled, uh, that he did not revile in return. And, and so we see here the fact that he dealt honestly with everyone and, and he didn't let the environment around him determine his life. Do you live a Christian life when nobody around you is living a Christian life? Do you reflect God when the people around you aren't reflecting God? Do you reflect God when someone is saying negative things to you? Do you reflect God? Our human nature is to be a mirror and reflect what is happening around us. Ungodly things happen around us. For whatever reason, our human nature is participate in ungodly things. Someone says something that angers you, the human nature is, I'm going to figure out to say something that angers them. Jesus showed us an example where the environment around him did not guide his life. He had handed his reins over to the Father and the Father guided his life. But then finally in this example of teaching here, he says, he suffered and he did not threaten. The very same thing. He did not react based upon everything that was happening around him. One of the things that's disappointing when you look in, in dictionaries, any of the modern dictionaries, it's not uncommon to look up the word meekness and in the second or the third meaning to have things that are very negative about meekness. A lack of courage. Is that really what meekness is? See how our world has switched it around? Friends, meekness is not a lack of courage. I mean, that, that literally is not true. That is as far from truth as it can be. Meekness in the Scriptures is when somebody says, I have so much courage to do the right thing no matter what is happening around me. I have courage to stand for truth no matter how tempting something is. This next slide, we see the example of Moses. And notice in Numbers, the 12th chapter in verse 3, where it says, Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. Do you think Moses was a meek man? I doubt there's ever been a leader any stronger than Moses. A man that could lead probably more than a million people through a wilderness for 40 years. There wasn't anything weak about this man. And the Lord describes him. How's the Lord going to pull out a word that, 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 is, that matches such a, a capable man? And he pulls out the word meek. Friends, remember the goal this morning? Let's learn what meekness is. And then let's say, I want to be that. Moses was a meek man. But let's go back to our text for one final point. Look in, in 1 Peter, the second chapter at the end, we've worked our way to the end of 23 that he didn't threaten. And then we say, well, how did he do it? How did he find the strength to not let the environment control him but allow God to control him? And here's the answer to how he did it. He committed himself to him who judges righteously. 
committed. He committed himself. Commitment is to yield. It's to trust. Lord, I yield the reins of my life to your control. Lord, I yield my life to your control. Lord, I trust you. It takes a lot of trust. I don't know if there's many activities that takes more trust in someone else than than the trapeze acts that we oftentimes see at circuses. Here's a picture of a fellow named Peter Gold. And not only has he traveled through many circuses, but now he's actually set up a business where he helps people overcome their fears. And he helps teams come together and learn the importance of teamwork. And he literally for the day puts individuals with, of course, a net underneath them on on trapeze bars. And and they do all kinds of stunts. But I want you to imagine those bars where they'd never come close enough together that the two can connect unless one turns loose on one bar and swings around and grabs the hands of the others. Haven't you seen that? I would think most all of us have seen that at a circus at some time or another. I want you to imagine right now the spiritual application in that. God wants you to commit your life to Him. But the only way we can truly commit our life to God is by turning loose of one bar, saying, God, I'm now completely out of control. If you don't catch me, I'm gone. Do you trust God that much? God's literally on the other bar saying, this morning, will you be meek? Will you place your life in my hands? And you know what our problem is? Too often times our nature is saying, I'm afraid you won't catch me the way I want to be caught. I'm afraid I'm going to leap out there and and you're not going to be who I thought you was. I don't know exactly what that catch is going to look like. And and Lord, I'd just rather hang on to my bar, God. Let me have my own reins in my life. This morning, the word commitment, the word commitment is no small thing. Let's advance to those pictures at the end. You know, when we think about a contract and signing our name on a contract, you know, that reminds us of a commitment. I'm I'm putting my name down. Do you realize that's what God is wanting you to do today that's much stronger than any contract on paper? It's the contract of your life. God is saying, will you be meek? You've got a vice in your life that you're wanting to overcome. Will you turn loose of yourself and give it all to God? You've got bad habits. You've got hang-ups. Be honest this morning. Have you ever in your life totally turned it over to God and given it all to Him? Friends, Jesus came to this earth and He knew all about commitment because that's what caused Him to finish One of the hardest few days of his life on this earth was he was committed to finish. That's why some of the last words that he said on the cross was, it is finished. And this morning you're invited to begin. The waters of baptism is where we begin that full commitment to God where we say, Lord, I I give it all over to you. And we rise up out of those waters of baptism to say, Lord... I want to live for you every day. 
It's 24-7. It's 365 days a year. I want to wake up every day and, and I want to turn loose of my bar every day and make sure that I'm in the hands of God every day. I want to take my reins and make sure that they're in the hands of God every day. God can say it in a beautiful way. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Friends, you want a great inheritance? You want a life that's worth living? You want a life that is powerful, that is positive, that is productive? Hand it all over to God and let Him do the driving. Let Him catch you. Let Him bring you over into eternity. This morning, if you've never began that journey and you want to do that by being baptized into Christ or you've begun that journey and somewhere along the way you look back and realize that you've kind of pulled the reins out of God's hand. You've kind of jumped back on your own bar. This morning, will you give it up to Him again? God knows our struggles. He knows we're not perfect. But He does ask us and commands us to hand it all over to Him. If we can help you that, come as we stand and as we sing.